Welcome to the Gren Zone. Dissecting dermatology differently. Here is your host, Dr. Logan Kolb. All right, thanks for tuning in. So today we've got a great episode for you as we'll be knocking out another subcategory of the papulosquamous disorders by discussing lichen planus. It's one of the few rashes we learn about in medical school with its six P's of classic lesions and sawtooth histology. But what we didn't learn is that despite having consistent histology findings, there are actually over 20 variants of LP that have been described. So today I hope we can broaden your knowledge beyond the basics and also give you a few pearls for diagnosis and treatment. As always, let's start by reviewing our reaction patterns and mention our disclaimer. This episode is meant for educational and informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Nor does this episode represent the views of Orange Park Medical Center, Olmstead Medical Center, or their affiliates. All right, the five main reaction patterns. Hopefully I'm starting to sound like a broken record here, but they are papulosquamous, eczematous, vascular, dermal, and vesiculobolus. Again, we break the first category of papulosquamous rashes into five subcategories. One, psoriasiform, which includes psoriasis, seborrheic dermatitis, mycosis fungoides, small and large plaque parapsoriasis, and pityriasis rubra pilaris. Two, pityriasiform, which includes pityriasis rosea, secondary syphilis, and tinea versicolor. Three, lichenoid, which we'll cover today and focus on lichen planus. Four, annular, such as the tinea infections, erythema annularis centrifugum, and subacute cutaneous lupus erythematosus, also known as SCLE. And then the fifth reaction pattern is erythroderma, which means that greater than 80 to 90% of the patient's skin is covered with a rash. All right, lichen planus. It is a relatively common condition, making up 1 in 200 visits to the dermatologist. LP is an inflammatory disease that affects the skin, mucous membranes, hair, and nails. Cutaneous lichen planus affects up to 1% of adults and usually starts after the age of 20 with a peak onset from our 40s to 70s. You remember the classic presentation by the six Ps. And what are the six Ps? If I were describing you, I'd say you're a pimply, pungent, perspirating, poisonous, prickly peasant with a plentiful panis. The six P's for lichen planus are pruritic, purple, polygonal, planar or flat-topped, papules, and plaques. These lesions can also have Wickham striae. Ah, Wickham striae. Do you know what those are, or are you too busy counting down the minutes until your next episode of Bachelor in Paradise? Wickham striae are seen with the naked eye and even better with dermoscopy as fine, gray-white dots or a net-like pattern overlying the lesions. These Wickham striae are best appreciated in the oral mucosa, which is the most common site for lichen planus. Oral lichen planus often presents without the classic LP skin lesions, with only 10% of these oral cases going on to develop classic skin lesions. Another unique trait of lichen planus is that it kebnerizes, meaning that trauma to the skin, such as scratching, will produce new lesions at areas of trauma. This will often appear as linear LP lesions where patients have been scratching at these pruritic purple papules and plaques. So what is the difference between kebnerization and pathogen? Kebnerization can be seen with lichen planus, psoriasis, or vitiligo. 
Pathergy, on the other hand, means that a nonspecific ulcer occurs at sites of trauma, which is seen in pyoderma gangrenosum in Bichette's disease. Alright, so as we were discussing, LP is most commonly in the oral mucosa, but when it affects the skin, it classically affects the patient's anterior wrists and forearms, along with the patient's hands, shins, neck, sacrum, and genitals, or it can simply be generalized. Oh, you know the basics. Good for you. How about you name some of the variants of lichen planus? As I mentioned in the intro, there are around 20 different types of lichen planus. Nobody expects you to be able to memorize them and recite them, but you should at least be familiar with them and keep them on your differentials in the future. I like to group them based on their location, their cause, and their clinical appearance. You won't necessarily see this grouping in dermatology texts, but that's okay, because we're dissecting dermatology differently. I'll mention all the variants first and then go over a few highlights for each type. The lichen planus variants based on their location are genital LP, mucosal LP, nail LP, inverse LP, palmoplantar LP, and LP affecting the hair known as lichen planopilaris, or LPP. And how does that particular tune go? You're down with LPP? Yeah, you know me. LP variants based on their cause include actinic LP and drug-induced LP. Then the lichen planus variants based on their appearance include classic, annular, atrophic, ulcerative, hypertrophic, linear, and bullous LP variants, along with lichen planus pemphigoides and lichen planus pigmentosus. Let's start with the lichen planus variants that are described based on their location. Genital lichen planus affects up to half of women and 25% of men with cutaneous LP. Genital lichen planus in men can appear as classic LP lesions or as an annular plaque on the glands penis or the shaft of the penis, whereas women unfortunately can have debilitating erosive lesions on the vulva and within the vagina. Women often have oral involvement in these cases as well, which is called vulvovaginal gingival syndrome or VVG syndrome. The next type is mucosal lichen planus, which affects more than half of patients with cutaneous LP. It is most commonly seen as reticular wickham striae with asymptomatic lacy lines on the inside of the cheek. Make sure you don't mix this up with a bite line, which is a linear horizontal streak in the biting plane of the cheek that's present on most people. Mucosal LP can also be induced by mercury-containing dental amalgams or gold fillings, so be sure to look for lesions adjacent to these fillings as well, even when patients tell you, Oh no! I've had these metals in my teeth for years! Doctor? And only in dermatology do we have variants of the variant. So, mucosal lichen planus variants include erosive, atrophic, and bullous lesions, all of which should make you question if there's esophageal involvement, which can progress to squamous cell carcinoma and should be monitored. Oral lichen planus should also make you slightly more suspicious for hepatitis C-induced LP especially if lesions are affecting areas of the mouth other than the buccal mucosa. The next lichen planus variant based on location is nail LP, which is seen in around 10% of patients. And what kind of changes can an astute clinician expect to find in the nails of a patient with lichen planus? Lichen planus of the nails can exist as lateral thinning, longitudinal ridges known as onychorexis, 
pitting, 20 nail dystrophy, which is also known as tracheonychia, spelled T-R-A-C-H-Y-O-N-Y-C-H-I-A, tracheonychia, or as a dorsal pterygium where the proximal nail fold attaches to the matrix below and grows out to the end of the nail. Look at a picture online of dorsal pterygium of the nail and you won't forget it. The next locational variant is inverse LP, which affects the intertriginous areas of the axilla, inguinal, and inframammary folds. Then there's palmoplantar plantar LP that has painful ulcerations on the soles especially. And finally, we have lichen planopilaris, which shows erythema and perifollicular scale around the hair follicle on the scalp and can lead to a scarring alopecia, which we will cover more in detail in the alopecia podcast. Let's see if you actually listen to the intro podcast. Or were you too busy jamming out to Britney Spears? In what zone of the hair follicle is the inflammation for lichen planopilaris compared to the inflammation in discoid lupus? Remember that LPP has a more superficial inflammation at the infundibulum, which makes sense because lichenoid infiltrates are classically more superficial near the DEJ. Then remember that discoid lupus is deeper at the isthmus. Discoid, deep. Okay, okay, you can shut your trap already. Just kidding. Tell me, what are the classic findings of Graham-Little-Bacardi-Lassure syndrome? The answer would be scarring alopecia of the scalp that is often caused by lichen planal pilaris, non-scarring hair loss at the pubic and axillary regions, follicular papules that appear like keratosis pilaris, and classic lichen planus lesions of the skin in mucosa. Again, Graham-Little-Picardi-Lassure syndrome has the classic findings of scarring alopecia of the scalp with KP-like follicular papules, non-scarring hair loss of the pubic and axillary regions, and classic lichen planus lesions on the skin in mucosa. And to sum up these locational variants of LP, Remember that they can be located on the genitals, mucosa, nails, intertriginous areas known as inverse LP, palmoplantar LP, and lichen planopilaris, which affects the hair. Now let's go into the two LP variants based on their cause, actinic lichen planus and drug-induced LP. Actinic LP, or lichen planus actinicus, classically affects kids and young adults from the Middle East or India and presents as red-brown plaques on the sun-exposed areas of the face, neck, and extremities. Then there's drug-induced LP. And how does drug-induced lichen planus differ from classic lichen planus? They differ in that drug-induced LP patients are a little bit older in their 60s compared to 40s and 50s, Lesions are more generalized and often photodistributed in drug-induced LP, and they actually often spare the mucosa of the mouth and genitals, unlike classic LP. Again, drug-induced LP patients are a little bit older, lesions are more generalized and often photodistributed, they do not have the Wickham striae as in classic LP, and they actually often spare the mucosa of the mouth and the genitals, unlike classic LP. A biopsy may also show eosinophils in drug-induced cases of LP as well, while eos are rare in classic LP biopsy. Another important pearl is that it can take a year or longer for drug-induced LP to start after the causative medication, so you need to get a good medication history for this diagnosis. So what medications are the usual suspects? 
There is actually a lot of overlap with the meds that we discussed for drug-induced pityriasis rosea. The meds causing PR and LP include ACE inhibitors, beta blockers, NSAIDs, and gold. Other reported causes of drug-induced lichen planus include hydrochlorothiazide, antimalarials, and the TNF-alpha inhibitors. If you remember one thing for drug-induced LP, think blood pressure meds, since ACE inhibitors, beta blockers, thiazides, and even diltiazem have been associated with it. And finally, let's go over the lichen planus variants that are described based off their clinical appearance, which is pretty descriptive, so they should go more quickly. LP lesions can be described as classic, acute, annular, atrophic, ulcerative, hypertrophic, bolus, linear, and as one of two conditions called lichen planus pemphigoides or lichen planus pigmentosus. We already discussed the classic LP findings of pyritic, purple, polygonal, planar, papules, and plaques on the volar wrists and other areas of the body with Wickham striae overlying the lesions. The next subtype, acute or exanthematous LP, refers to cases of classic LP with a rapid onset of diffuse lesions that resolve more quickly over a course of three to nine months compared to a year or more for classic LP. Annular LP has lesions that are annular or ring-like and typically affect the penis or axilla. Atrophic LP classically presents with depressed, hyperpigmented lesions on the legs. Ulcerative LP tends to affect the palmoplantar surfaces, and keep in mind that chronic ulcers are at a higher risk of developing squamous cell carcinomas. Then you have hypertrophic lichen planus, which presents as hypertrophic, thick, scaly plaques on the shins and dorsal feet that are often symmetric, really itchy, and can be mistaken for Picker's nodules, or LSC, clinically. Then there's bolus lichen planus, which is basically blisters that arise in chronic LP lesions. Ooh, bolus dermatoses, my favorite. What is the antigenic target for lichen planus pemphigoides, and what other conditions have autoantibodies against it? Lichen planus pemphigoides is caused by IgG autoantibodies that target the BP antigen 2 of the basement membrane, which is also targeted in bolus pemphigoid and herpes gestationis, which is also known as pemphigoid gestationis. Finally, we have lichen planus pigmentosus, which presents as gray-brown macules without prior erythema on the sun-exposed surfaces of the face, neck, and flexures in patients with darker Fitzpatrick type 3 and 4 skin. Lichen planus pigmentosus differs from a similar-looking rash called ashy dermatosis, aka erythema dyschromicum perstans. A subtle difference to remember is that lichen planus pigmentosus has a later onset in patients' 30s and 40s, whereas ashy dermatosis often starts in patients' teens to 20s. Okay, let's quick review these LP variants before we see a patient with a lichenoid rash with Dr. Grumpy Pants. Oh, I can't stand to hear you speak another sentence but I guess I will endure. There are nearly 20 variants of LP, and I like to group them based on their location, their cause, and their clinical appearance. The lichen planus variants based on their location are genital LP, mucosal LP, nail LP, inverse lichen planus, palmoplantar LP, and LP affecting the hair known as lichen planal pilaris. Lichen planus variants based on their cause include actinic LP and drug-induced LP, which can be due to blood pressure meds like hydrochlorothiazide, ACE inhibitors, and beta blockers, along with gold, antimalarials, and TNF-alpha inhibitors. Lichen planus variants based on their appearance include classic, annular, atrophic, 
ulcerative, hypertrophic, linear, and bolus LP variants, along with lichen planus pemphigoides and lichen planus pigmentosus. All right, now get a sip of your coffee, let that info sit for a second, and imagine you're in clinic with Dr. Grumpy Pants, and he sends you in to see the first patient of the day, a Hispanic woman in her early 40s with a new rash. You go in, introduce yourself, and ask to take a quick peek at the rash. She shows you her ventral wrists and says that she's had these itchy bumps on there for the past month which are driving her loco. They indeed look lichenoid with numerous violaceous papules on the wrists that are linear in some areas. So do you walk out and tell Dr. G you think she has LP and call it a day? Only a bird brain would make that mistake. No. You sit down with the patient and get a good history of the rash and go over your OPQRSTs, characteristics of the rash onset, previous episodes, progression since it started, palliative or provoking factors, treatments tried, etc. Make sure to ask about genital involvement since it's very common and patients won't usually bring this up. Next, go over a general review of systems and make sure to ask about pruritus and how it is affecting the patient. A random question to ask is whether the patient has had a stem cell transplant or any solid organ transplants in their past, since chronic graft-versus-host disease most often presents in a lichenoid pattern. Next, never forget that lichen planus can be caused by medications. If we can find a cause for lichen planus or any of the other rashes that we'll discuss, the best treatment is removing that trigger. So for drug-induced LP, the causative med may have been started a year or more before the rash started, so go over the patient's medications for the past two years if you can, looking out for hydrochlorothiazide, beta blockers, ACE inhibitors, antimalarials, gold, TNF-alpha inhibitors, and last but not least, over-the-counter NSAIDs, which patients won't mention unless you ask them about them. Next, we have the physical exam. As always, we want to get a good physical exam from head to toe. Look in the patient's scalp and eyebrows for perifollicular erythema or hair loss suggested of lichen planal pilaris. If you find this hair loss, ask about and evaluate for hair loss in the axilla and groin that would suggest Graham-Little syndrome. Next, look in the patient's mouth, taking note of any dental fillings and look for white, lacy Wickham striae or ulcerations. Then take a look at the patient's rash itself, using dermoscopy to look for Wickham striae on the lesions themselves and then look for signs of cabinerization, which would likely appear as lesions grouped in a linear fashion as if you could imagine the patient scratching the lesions into existence. And finally, look at the nails for clues to the diagnosis, such as linear ridging, lateral nail thinning, pitting, or dorsal pterygium. If there is any concern about genital involvement, examine this area and always have a chaperone in the room with you. So you finish your exam and present your findings to Dr. Grumpy Pants outside the room. You tell him, 40-year-old female, one-month history of pruritic violaceous papules on her bilateral volar wrists. Her only medication is lisinopril, which was started six months ago. On exam, there are also similar appearing papules on her back and abdomen. I didn't see any oral lesions or hair or nail changes, and the patient denied any genital involvement. I'm worried about drug-induced lichen planus and figured that we should do a biopsy for her today. Dr. Grumpy Pants looks at you and gives you the cocky up nod, as opposed to the mad respect down nod, and then he says, You can tell me all about those biopsy findings in a second. So what does a biopsy of lichen planus show? Obviously, the different LP variants such as atrophic or hypertrophic lesions can have a different architecture, but actually the histo findings are very similar for all LP variants. Starting at the surface, you can see a compact orthokeratosis without perikeratosis. 
Dr. Elston has a great way to remember this by thinking of classic lichen planus as the strict parent that doesn't let perikeratosis or eosinophils around. Now listen here, lichen planty, I don't want you hanging around with the para or eos anymore. You just don't fit in with them and I think you're getting into drugs. So besides the hyperkeratosis without perikeratosis, there will be hypergranulosis. And remember that this is opposite to psoriasis, which usually shows hypogranulosis. Deep to the hyperkeratosis and hypergranulosis, lichen planus classically has irregular acanthosis in a sawtooth pattern where the epidermal reedy ridges are more pointed and dive down to different depths in the papillary dermis. Then you have the characteristic dense lichenoid lymphocytic infiltrate, meaning that there is a broad band of lymphocytes at the dermo-epidermal junction and superficial papillary dermis. Remember, if you see EOs, you may be seeing a drug-induced LP. With this lichenoid infiltrate, it can create apoptotic keratinocytes that are referred to as civat bodies, spelled C-I-V-A-T-T-E, civat bodies. And the infiltrate can also create separations between the epidermis and dermis, known as Max Joseph spaces. When these spaces get large enough, that's when you see bolus lichen planus, not to be mistaken for lichen planus pemphigoides. The main clinical difference between the two is that, in bullous lichen planus, blisters form on long-standing LP lesions, whereas in lichen planus pemphigoides, blisters form mostly on uninvolved skin. So rapid fire, for classic LP, you see compact orthokeratosis without perikeratosis, hypergranulosis, irregular acanthosis in a sawtooth pattern, a dense, lichenoid, lymphocytic infiltrate that chews at the DEJ, which leads to savat bodies and possibly Max Joseph spaces. So back in clinic, Dr. G decides to take a small shave biopsy from a lesion on the woman's back and gives her triamcinolone cream and antihistamines to use until the biopsy results are available. When clinic is done for the day, he looks at you and asks, Quite a day, quite a day. And by the way, what will that biopsy from that woman's back show? You tell him that the classic lichen planus findings are, starting at the surface, hyperkeratosis without perikeratosis, hypergranulosis, irregular acanthosis with sawtooth reedy ridges, and the lichenoid infiltrate made up of lymphocytes which can lead to the development of sabat bodies or Max Joseph spaces. Fine. I'm already 99% sure this is lichen planus. So why didn't I biopsy it then? And don't tell me you think I need the money to buy a new pair of Gucci slippers. You mentioned that the presence of eosinophils can be suggestive, but not necessarily diagnostic, of drug-induced lichen planus, which could help us to recommend that our patient get off her lisinopril and have it changed to something else. Fine, I'll buy that, and not a new pair of slippers. Keep in mind that hepatitis C has been associated with some cases of lichen planus, but more so in European populations. Not all dermatologists here in the U.S. automatically check for it when they're making a diagnosis of LP, but if risk factors for hepatitis C are present, such as IV drug use, multiple sexual partners, or working in the healthcare field, it doesn't hurt to check it. All right, all right. So what is the pathogenesis of lichen planus and how do we treat it? Thankfully, you had a feeling he was going to ask you and quick looked it up for a minute while you were in the bathroom. 
a classic derm audition maneuver used only by the pros. As far as pathogenesis, the short and sweet is that we aren't entirely sure what causes LP. We believe that patients may be predisposed due to certain HLA subtypes and then get exposed to triggers such as meds or viruses like hepatitis C. These triggers then alter the antigens on the basal keratinocytes, which then get targeted by T-cells and cause the inflammation. As far as treatments for lichen planus, topical corticosteroids are a mainstay of treatment. However, for oral or genital LP, topical calcineurin inhibitors like pimecrolimus or tacrolimus can be useful. Intralesional cantalog can be helpful for hypertrophic lesions as well. When lesions are more generalized or problematic, treatment options include prednisone at around 20 mg for several weeks with a taper thereafter, intramuscular cantalog, low-dose methotrexate, metronidazole 500 mg twice daily if the patient is not a drinker and they can avoid doing so, and phototherapy such as UVB or PUVA. If these treatments aren't cutting it, acetretin or cyclosporin can be tried as well. Good enough. I'm off to get some new slippers after all. See you tomorrow. So that puts an end to another idealistic encounter with Dr. G. If only all of them could go that way in real life. But I hope these little vignettes with our friend help you to visualize yourselves in these situations, getting a good history and a good physical on patients, and then to start to learn an approach to getting the diagnosis and treatment right. So let's finish strong and sum these things up for Lichen Planus. Lichen planus is relatively uncommon, affecting 1% of adults usually between the ages of 40 to 70 years old, but ultimately it can occur at any age. Lesions have the classic six Ps, pyritic, purple, polygonal, planar, papules and plaques that classically affect the anterior wrists and forearms, but they can also be on other areas of the body, including the genitals, and can be generalized. Lesions can cabinerize and can also have wickham striae, which are fine gray-white dots and lines overlying the lesions. Remember that the oral mucosa is the most common site for lichen planus and can present with Wickham striae or ulcerations. Don't forget to look at the hair for signs of lichen planal pilaris, which is often an isolated finding. And also, don't forget to look at the nails for linear ridging or dorsal pterygium. There are many variants of LP that we group together based on their location, their cause, and their clinical appearance. The lichen planus variants based on their location are genital, mucosal, nail, inverse, palmal plantar, and lichen planal pilaris. LP variants based on their cause include actinic LP and drug-induced LP, which can be due to blood pressure meds such as hydrochlorothiazide, ACE inhibitors, and beta blockers, along with gold, antimalarials, and TNF-alpha inhibitors. LP variants based on their appearance include classic, annular, atrophic, ulcerative, hypertrophic, linear, and bullous LP variants, along with lichen planus pemphigoides and lichen planus pigmentosus. Biopsy findings of LP include, starting at the surface, hyperkeratosis without parakeratosis, hypergranulosis, irregular acanthosis with sawtooth reedy ridges, and the lichenoid infiltrate made up of lymphocytes, which can lead to the development of savat bodies or Max Joseph spaces. And to get these patients better, our toolkit of treatments includes topical corticosteroids, topical calcineurin inhibitors, intralesional catalog, and more systemic treatments such as prednisone, IMK, low-dose methotrexate, metronidazole 500 mg twice daily, phototherapy such as UVB or PUVA, acetretin, or cyclosporin. And that's the lichenoid rashes in a nice little nutshell. For a little more reading, there is a nice CME article in the November 2018 JAD that covers lichen planus and the lichenoid dermatoses. 
All right, thanks for joining today. I want to thank Dr. Sean for his help with the content and Dr. K for not only adding clinical pearls, but supporting this podcast from the get-go. I also want to thank Garrett and Dan for their work with editing and post-production, along with our excellent team of students and residents with Dave, Dan, and Sandra, who put together an awesome study guide for each episode that's available at www.grenzonederm.com. And that's with two Zs, grenzonederm.com. If you have any feedback on how we can improve our content, you can contact us through our website or via email at grenzonederm at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media for more helpful mnemonics and quiz questions. Thanks again for listening today. I'm Logan Kolb, and we'll see you next time here in the Gren Zone. This episode is copyright 2020 Pro Podcasting LLC, all rights reserved. The Gren Zone Podcast is a service provided by Pro Podcasting LLC and is not affiliated with any other service providers.